This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. I'm your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me, as always, is Go Go Tigers 247 founder, Brooks Hansen, Go Tigers 247 digital content creator, Kenny Stubblefield, and Jonah Jordan is back for his second episode of Tigers in 20. Well, that you don't know what to call me. Yeah, there's no there's no title for Jonah. It's just and it's that just Jonah. guy Jonah. <laughs> yeah, and the guy that kind of works with us, Jonah. That's how we that's how we're uh, that's how we're going at it for now. But but uh, guys, we got a lot to talk about this week. Uh, Memphis defeated UCA on Friday. Memphis lost to Tulane on Saturday, and Memphis will be playing Mississippi Valley State on Tuesday. So busy week. It's always a little crazy when the football and basketball seasons collide. So, Brooks, what are we starting with today? Well, I think the first thing is just, let's just go in chronological order. Um, you know, last week we previewed what to expect and what we were looking for out of UCA. Um, you know, the the first thing I will say is that we talked about not really trying to, to gather too much out of the game, more trying to see whether or not Memphis's offense continued to progress. Um how deep into their progressions and reads they got, if they were going to go back to that old offense of St. Mary's or the the new disastrous offense of VCU. <clears throat> and I think there was a mix in there. I think that they ran some of the original offense that they ran against St. Mary's. I do think that the offense looked much crisper at times. For anyone saying that the offense was garbage, they were actually – pretty dang efficient uh, in that game. Now, the the issue that they had was they had some very, very – they reverted back to 2019-2020 and had some very dumb turnovers, which is not an indication of offensive efficiency in terms of whether the system is working or not. It's an indication of the guys not being fully engaged, um, in my opinion. I think when – when you look at the game as a whole, the biggest concern to me was that for the first 28 to 30 minutes, it did not seem like this Memphis team was engaged at all. They, And this is my opinion from speaking to some people around the program. I think these guys walked in with little to zero respect for UCA, and Penny Hardaway even hit on that in his postgame press conference. So when you come in and you're – tired from going every day of the week and trying to trying to right the ship from Sioux Falls. And then you're, you're also playing an opponent late on a Friday night when you would rather be doing other things. And it's an opponent with UCA on the front of the jersey. It was bound to be a game where it was a slow start. Let's just put it that way. Um, so, yeah, that's what I took away from the UCA game. I think overall 
It was good to see DJ Jeffries get going a little bit. Um, Landers Nolly continues to play very well. I was confused about Ahmad Rand not playing at all. So, you know, Kenny, what did you think? What did what was your initial impression from that game? Well, I mean, I think you're I think you're right on point. Um, you know, the 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 Tigers definitely their offense looked more um, more fluid, more like they 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 knew um, they knew where they wanted to go with the ball. They were willing to make the extra passes. Um, there were obviously moments in the game where they, you know, it felt like they either didn't they didn't put their floor their foot on the pedal or they took their foot off the pedal one of the two so you know um but yeah I was I was extremely um just in terms of of just the way the eye test like what the eye test looked like it definitely felt like um the the Tigers had been have been preaching passing the ball <clears throat> been preaching making the extra pass been preaching all those different things and and um you know, the, the offense definitely looked better. You know, it's hard to beat. You know, one of the things about UCA is, you know, they're a, they're a veteran team, man. They got a bunch of dudes. I remember even at the beginning part of the game, I think if you remember um, when they were about to do the tip-off, they started talking about a couple of the players on UCA and talking about where they play former college ball and where they, you know, the, the starting center played at Pitt. And then you had a guy from BYU. You had, And I'm like, Oh, well, these guys have some experience, you know, they, they're playing for central Arkansas, but they absolutely have some experience. And so when you got a, a senior, who's the the leading score on the team for UCA coming out and bombing four of seven, three pointers in the first half, it's going to be, you know, you're going to have to figure out how to pick this dude up and, and, and withstand that, that heat check. Yeah. I mean, that was a concern, like watching that game, and, and this all goes back to effort. It all goes back to engagement. These guys were lackadaisical. They weren't trying. The closeouts were poor. Uh, transition defense was poor. On their 20 turnovers, UCA did push the ball well. Um, so, I, I mean, I think this was more about mental toughness and engagement than anything. Uh, and I think once Penny Hardaway and the staff finally got their attention – it was deep in the game and fans were already panicked. So, uh, Christian, any thoughts from the game? Yeah, I'm sure, just like you said, I think halftime they they probably got a little bit of ass chewing and that's why they came out kind of on fire in the second half and and played differently. And that was a a bit concerning to me because we talked about it with the Arkansas State game and said something that we were, you know, one of the positive takeaways from that game is that they played extremely hard, especially on the defensive end of the floor, and then they come out in UCA in the first half and kind of lay a dud in that department. But I think you guys hit on it perfectly, so I don't want to go uh, into too more detail, too much more detail on that. But there are two things that I do want to talk about, one negative, one positive. We touched on it a little bit last week, and it only got better, and that's Jaden Hardaway. I actually just wrote a story on him that's on the site right now. You can go check that out. So Jaden Hardaway once again played well. It's it's definitely an encouraging sign because this is not the same player from last year. Like I said, we talked about it a lot on last week's episode. And he, he just continues to get better every game, it seems like. The more minutes he plays, the more impact he makes, the more efficient he is, uh, the more decisive he is. So that's a very positive development for this team, especially if he starts handling the ball more. I said that in the article that I wrote. Uh, I won't be surprised if he does handle the ball more because they are having so much trouble at that point guard spot. And that brings me to the negative point I want to make, which is Alex Lomax, somebody that we've 
been very high on for years now. We love what he does defensively. We love the energy, the passion, but it just hasn't been there for him this year outside of the St. Mary's game. I think he played well in that St. Mary's game, and ever since then, he's had a lot of trouble. We hit on last week how it's like he would drive down and make a pass late, uh, force a shot or make a t- or uh, have a turnover um, or pass the ball too late to where whoever he was getting it to didn't have time to get off a clean shot, and, and it looked even worse against UCA. I think that was his worst game of the year. Uh, it, it's a it's a little bit puzzling why he did play. I think he played 18 or 20 minutes in that game when he shouldn't have. He obviously wasn't making a positive impact on the game. It really his only impact was negative, forcing shots. What he and he wasn't great on defense, and that's that's what he really brings to to the floor is a defensive ability. So it's very concerning for this team to have a guy like Alex Lomax, who's a junior, one of the oldest guys on the team, supposed to be a leader, supposed to be you know one of the better, more crisp smooth players on this team and it just has not been there this year through through five games yeah and I think because Alex is struggling like that it's kind of throwing off Penny's lineups a little bit because you he isn't playing well enough to justify being a the secondary ball handler that they need like Boogie Ellis can take over and do the first unit I think he did a good job of it and DJ Jeffries can and Landers and Ollie can but they need another point guard um Maybe Davian Ball can be that guy that can step in and be the point guard off the bench, but really they need Alex Slomax to be entirely better than he is. But one thing I was really impressed about is Landers Nolly continues to score the ball really, really well. Like, 4 of 10 from 3, not necessarily the most efficient in the world, but, oh, it's 4%, but it, I, some of his shots are a little questionable at times. Um, the big thing to me that stuck out was that Memphis got out-rebounded by UCA, a team that they very you, you shouldn't get out-rebounded by them. And then that Moose to C-State, over four from the field, two points and ten rebounds. The rebounds were there, but we really haven't seen that moment where he's come out and kind of dominated or been a physical presence out there that shown that athletic ability that we all know and have seen in high school. And I'm just waiting on that moment. I thought it would come against UCA. It'll happen sometime this season, I'm sure, but Memphis fans are, are begging for him to kind of come in and make a splash. I think that happens against Mississippi Valley State. I did the game preview today on the site, looked at Mississippi Valley uh, Mississippi Valley's roster. They're bad. They're 0 and 5. Their average their their average point per game differential is 40 points a game. I think it's 107 to 60 right now on the season. They're a terrible team. Their tallest player is 6 foot 9. This should be a Musa Cisse takeover game. He should have a field day in the paint. A uh, uh, 14 and 10s what he had against Arkansas State. He should have a better game than that. Double-double should be easy, four to five blocks, 18 points, 12 rebounds is what I'll be looking for. Uh, obviously, predictions don't always go as planned, but with the size that he has compared to what they have, it, it should be easy for him all night down low. <laughs> I think I think before we move on to Mississippi Valley, which I don't really know much, like what how much we want to talk about looking forward to Mississippi Valley because it's just going to be a pretty bad game, but... One of the things that has concerned me and that has kind of surprised me in this whole entire season so far, it's very early on, so you know, I don't wanna I don't wanna overreact, but one of the things that one of the valuable things about college basketball players, um, especially older college basketball players, is at times things can get a little bit frenetic and frantic on the court, right? And so you need somebody in the in the lineup that can slow it down 
get everybody back on the same page, um, you know, reset the offense, reset the defense, whatever that looks like. And, and from the very beginning of the year, for me, that guy was Alex, right? Like I thought that guy is going to be Alex out there. It's not happening with Alex this year. And, and we got a lot of love for Alex over here at go tigers two, four, seven, but it is not happening. Jaden is the guy that's doing that right now. Um, and, and also another person that I, that specifically in the last two games that I've seen, um, is Lester. Lester is doing a good job of resetting the offense. Now, is he hitting all of his shots right now? No, but, but one of the things that I've seen and, and watching the game over again, running through some highlight packages and stuff like that is the, the initial pressure in the fast break, um, when the ball gets in Lester's hands, man, if he sees that, that nothing's going to happen, instead of forcing it, he brought it back out to reset the offense. Um, and, and, and so while Lester's doing that as a starter, Jaden is off the bench coming in and doing that, uh, providing some stability, providing some, uh, you know, you know, maturity on the basketball court to, to know when to press and when not, when to, you know, where to make the right passes, where to go. It's just not happening with Alex this year. And and for me, as a as a observer of the University of Memphis Tigers, I was like, if there's anything that Alex can do, it's that. It's that he's a veteran leader on the court. And unfortunately, it's just not showing itself out at all this year. He definitely seems to be kind of lost in the whole context of the offense because he doesn't do one thing really, really well on offense. And it's very easy to guard him at times because, you know, he's not driving to the basket with any, with much success. His jump shots, not, not, he doesn't trust it. And at times this season, he's been wide open on the floor and the players won't swing him the ball. So I don't know how much his teammates necessarily trust it either, but he is a good energy guy. I think he does have value on this team. Like there's no, there's no doubt in my mind, Alex Olmakes can have a role. It's just not what it is right now. I don't think because it's not working. It's like they're trying to, a fit a square peg into a round hole and it's kind of been detrimental to him in a sense is the last thing I'll say about this whole about Alex. Um, and this is meant to be an encouragement to him. Um, we are here and we're talking about his game right now. Um, and, and we have to be honest, right? Like we can't sugarcoat. We can't say, you know, things are better than what they are for him in particular. One of the things that I would say to him if I could sit down and talk with him is just don't listen to anything that we have to say right now. Drown us Drown out. out the noise. Yeah. Drown out the noise. I'll, I'll tell you a concern that I have. 12 minutes before the game tipped off against UCA, Alex is on Instagram posting Instagram stories about haters. Drown out the noise. Do not listen. Let us talk. And, and, but don't listen to us, listen to the people that you are around every single day. Listen to your coaches, listen to your teammates, listen to, we're here just to break down what's going on. We're not hating on you, but just don't listen to us because you need to be around people that you trust. You need to listen to people that you trust and fix what you can fix. That's good advice. Um, and I, th- and I think overall, there needs to be some level of perspective here, not just for Alex Lomax, but for fans in general, there's there seems to be some level of, you know, we need to know X, Y, and Z. How do you fix this? How do you fix out being out-rebounded by UCA? How do you fix 
poor field goal percentage? How do you fix these things? And let's just be honest. If there were an exact formula for it, they would have already done it. Um, that's part of this process is of evaluating what you do, uh, how you do it, what you're doing in practice. So, uh, yes, Memphis has to continue pressing forward, evaluating how they're implementing the offense, how much time they're spending on it, how they're focused on defense and how they, you know, their rotation, uh, all of that stuff. So let's take a quick break. We're not going to really talk about Mississippi Valley State. Let's talk about football. Uh, so let's hear from some sponsors. We'll be back on the other side. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, that, I think that does it for our basketball portion of the show. Uh, but stick around. we got a lot of good football talk. And I think a lot of you guys want to hear about football. Christian and Jonah actually opened up a thread yesterday uh, to give some good perspective on our boards uh, doing a, an open chat. Uh, so let's have some of that dialogue here, guys. I'm going to turn it over to you and let you all kind of have the floor. I, I think there's a lot that needs to be said about this Memphis team, the Tulane loss, which we pretty much called last week on the podcast. So if you guys stuck around for the football portion of the podcast and Tigers in 20, you would have known that this was a game that Memphis was set up to lose. Like, let's just call it what it is. Um, but this team, Ryan Silverfield, lots of thoughts. So I'm just going to toss it up in the air. Whoever catches it first, you can go with it. I, I think – so I'll take it since I opened up the chat yesterday and I, I – I did that because there's a lot of angst and there's a lot of uh, confusion and a lot of just, I mean, people are frustrated and I get it. This season was supposed to go differently. You were also supposed to have Demonte Coxie. You are supposed to have Kenny Gainwell. Things were supposed to be different. But now, because of coronavirus, because of things that happened because of coronavirus, Memphis is a program in transition. This is what it looks like to transition. I think people have gotten a little spoiled over the last few years, which is crazy to think about Memphis football fans, but it's just going to be different this year because you lost some playmakers. You Antonio Gibson graduated. Like Mike Norvell left. The staff changed. The defense changed. It's a transition, and it's what I thought they would look like next year with a new quarterback. It's just now Brady White's in tr- running the offense. So – I think they still have talent. They're going to develop talent. They're doing a good job on the trail. Ryan Silverfield has a pretty good plan in place over here to enter the early signing period and hit the transfer portal. I don't think 
that they're in a bad spot. What do you think, Christian? Because I'm encu- like I'm encouraged, and people think I'm crazy because I'm encouraged by a few of the things that I've seen. No, I'm I'm extremely optimistic. Uh, optimistic, and I put it in the post that we talked about yesterday. So if you're not VIP, you couldn't see that, but we'll give a little preview of what we talked about. I'm very encouraged moving forward, and it, and like you said, I think it's absolutely insane that Memphis football fans are are spoiled now. I'm not saying Memphis fans are insane for being spoiled. I'm saying it's insane that we've come this far in Memphis football where fans can actually be spoiled by good football. That's still a little bit crazy to me because of how historically bad the program was before that. Um, so that is a good thing. When when six and three potentially seven and three six and four is a bad season when people are pissed off. That's a good thing. That means your football program has been going in the right direction, and, and I think yeah. it will continue going in the right direction. And some of the points that I hit on yesterday were uh, something you just mentioned, the recruiting classes. I think there's a lot of guys from the 2020 class that will be major contributors next year, and that's another thing that's encouraging. When you think about top programs, true freshmen do not make impacts because they have older, more experienced players that are better in those places that play before them. That's what happens at good programs. At bad programs, true freshmen play out of necessity because they have to, and that's not the case at Memphis. That's why the 2020 class hasn't made a massive impact is because they don't need them to yet. Next year when they need them to, I expect a lot of those guys to step up, specifically in the secondary. A couple of guys that I mentioned were in Darius Coffey and Devontae Nelson. Expect them to be involved uh, fighting for starting jobs next year. 2021 class, I do think there are a couple of guys that can come in and compete for starting jobs or rotational jobs immediately so those two things are encouraging um and and you I think you said it on in that post yesterday that it might not be next year but in the next couple of years whether it's next year or the following year this team's gonna be you know a a potential AAC champion and and potential New Year's Six Bowl yeah type team again and I think that is the trajectory that they're heading on when you look at the recruiting class what they've got the potential of stability within this coaching staff if they, if they keep everything together and see how it rolls. So there are a lot of positive and encouraging signs. I know it's it's not the funnest year, especially coming off of a 12-1 and season last year in the regular season. So it's, it is a little bit different. You only had one loss last year that you had to deal with in the regular season and then a loss to a top-10 program in Penn State. So that's pretty easy going as a fan. And this year has been a little bit more difficult but we expected it to be. I think this team would probably have a win or two more if they have DeMonte Coxey and Kenny Gainwell. The run game's been terrible this year. If you have Kenny Gainwell, even if the offensive line isn't great, he's a good enough player where he's going to make plays and make things happen out of the backfield. So there are a lot of factors that went into this season. And to expect a first-year head coach to completely deal with all these things that are unprecedented and have an 8-2, and 9-1 season – and, and try to go to a New Year's Six Bowl again, that's just unrealistic expectations. Uh, I mean, a first-year head coach is supposed to have time to work out the kinks and to understand how to become a head coach, and he did not have that luxury this year. No spring to do installs, uh, no spring to help with the defense, uh, no spring to really get a look at the, the young incoming freshmen. Uh, summer workouts we know were hit or miss. A lot of guys were having to do it from home, so there's the p- potential of guys not coming in ready, which takes longer. Uh, to to contribute during the season there's so many factors I could go on and on about factors yeah this year and I know everyone says well everybody had these things everyone had to deal with COVID and that's true but not every program in the country had a first year head coach with a completely new defensive staff and lost two NFL players so it's it's a little bit different you have to be patient if in two years this team still isn't good and you want to and you want to talk about firing Ryan Silverfield 
okay, go ahead. But right now is not the time to call for a coaching change and say this guy doesn't know what he's doing and he's in over his head. And that's a little bit ridiculous. And I understand being that is insanity to me. Yeah, being a that folks oh, are calling over. for Ryan Silverfield's head. Being a fan, and they're insanity. six and three. They're six. Yeah, and three. Be, being a fan is is uh, is one thing, but that's it's just a little bit. It's a little bit over the board to to go to those extremes. You know, nine games into a coach's tenure. I understand it's the yeah. knee-jerk reactions of we lost and we, you know, we've lost a couple games this year and blah 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 blah. But you got to sit back. So I'm gonna play Brooks right here. You got to sit back, relax, chill. Let this season go. This season was never gonna be anything special. This is a shit season anyway. I mean, everyone knew that just playing football this year was a positive. At least that's how we looked at it here going into the season. Was if they play, we'll be happy regardless of the, what the record is. So they played football. Ron Silverfield got experience as a head coach. Give it time. It's going to be okay. Yeah, and one one of those things that I mentioned that I'm encouraged by is you touched on it a little bit is he's doing such a good job recruiting and he's changed the way Memphis is recruiting a bit. Before, well, under Mike Norvell, they took a lot of guys that actually didn't end up making impacts. I mean, how many times have we talked about this, Christian, where they took a guy and you just never heard from him again, you know? And they're trying to change that. They're trying to change the type of guy that they take. And they've had a lot of recruiting misses. I think the recruiting misses, the opt-outs, the transfers have all come to a head a little bit. And that's a little bit why Memphis got to where they are. Injuries also played a factor like uh, in a couple areas. But I, I think that's how they got to where they are. And Ryan's completely changed the way that they recruit. He's tinkered with the recruiting staff. He's put together this really good kind of like group of guys that are in charge of their recruiting now and how they – how they approach kids, how they go about recruiting kids. It's changed and it's paying off right now. And I think it's going to continue paying off in the future, especially locally. I think that they're, they're making a good impact locally, but I am encouraged. And I think it is crazy for people to sit here and expect, like you said, the first year head coach to go out and just win the conference with a less talented team. Like he, he mentioned it the other day, they are an average football team right now, even with Brady at quarterback, uh, they are an average football team, and I guess it's a good time for us to start talking about the loss to Tulane. I mean, the offense just—it still is struggling, isn't it, Christian? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it with the running game. It's tough to watch, especially with a former offensive line coach being your head coach. I cannot imagine he's happy at all. He probably stayed awake every night thinking about ways to make that run game work, and and sadly, it's not going to this year. You don't have the running backs. You don't have the offensive linemen. It's just not going to happen, and people can say, "Well, it's a scheme problem." Go watch, go watch the games. Like, if you know football and you know what you're talking about, there's nowhere to run. There are no lanes. Their They're, offensive line is getting yeah, blown they, up. If the, if they yeah. play a physical defensive line, they are going to lose. If they play a good defense that has a good front seven, they are going to lose the football game. Almost ninety percent sure. And Tulane had that. Patrick Johnson is is leading the NCAA in sacks so right now. Like they have NFL caliber dudes on their defense. And when you don't have a good offensive line, that's what's going to happen. And you may say, Jonah, you just said it. Even with Brady White, Brady White is not Dylan Gabriel or Shane Bouchelle. He's not going to throw the ball fifty five times a game and be efficient. He is a quarterback that needs a running game to set up the passing game. He's not a true air raid type quarterback we can drop back and throw it 50 times a game. So it's nonsense to expect him to do that and expect him to be successful at that because that's not who he is as a quarterback. So Brady White with the run game we've seen is very good. Early in the year when the run game was working, they were running for 184 yards a game. 
He was very good. He was top five, I believe, in touchdown passes. Ever since the running game has declined, he has declined. It doesn't make him a bad quarterback. It's just what he is. He's a quarterback that needs a running game to open up lanes for his receivers so he can make plays. Yeah, and it's – so you touched on that. The run game makes Brady worse. The offensive line makes Brady worse. The offensive line makes the run game worse. They're they're hitting on all of these points, and all of it together equals bad offense. Like the play calling on third and short, the play calling in the red zone, the play calling on third and long, Brady White not playing well because he hasn't. He hasn't been consistent. They don't really have a second consistent receiving threat. I know Taj Washington has played that role and Sean Dykes has played that role, but they're throwing to Calvin Austin what, 15, 16 times a game, and you can see by the end of the game, he looks dead. I mean, he had a touchdown pass that I think he would have probably caught if he hadn't taken, what, three or four hits over the middle where they're having to have an offensive lineman scoop him up off the ground. Like, there are eight factors that are all playing, that are playing cause and effect with each other throughout the course of a game that are forcing Memphis to continue to struggle on offense. And I just don't know the fix right now. Like, I don't, I can't, like, there's one game left, well, two games left. They got Houston in the, the bowl game, but I just don't know if there's a simple solution. There's, like, Brooks talked about it with basketball. There's no easy fix. It's not, it's not like the coaches are sitting there, like, oh, okay, we're going to fix this in five seconds. This is something that's going to take some time, take some work, take some personnel changes to continue to, to mold and to fix into what Silverfield wants it to be. And I, I just maybe they'll come out against Houston and look like they did against UCF. Maybe if everything hits right, if the offensive line can can block like he wants them to, if the tight ends start blocking better, if Sean Dykes can go out there and have a big game. But it's always if because I don't know right now if there's that sustainable fix. And if they're if they're I think the reality. If there is one complaint that I think is necessary and makes sense, it's Kevin Johns at this point. So if you are a fan and you want to be aggravated and complain, I think Kevin Johns has has struggled at times as a play caller. He didn't have to call plays last year. Mike Norvell, everyone knows he calls the plays. And Kevin Johns has struggled. And I, I think you can give him a little bit of a pass because what does an offensive coordinator do if they don't have a running game and they, had a, they have a quarterback that needs a running game? I agree. He's just trying to get something going. But there have been some very questionable calls and questionable drives that he has called, specifically down by 14 in the red zone, a chance to get a touchdown and get back into the game. Knowing you don't have a running game, you run the ball on first and second down. I do not like that. I don't like that at all. That was aggravating. Just as a a guy that loves the game of football and watches the game of football constantly to see an offensive coordinator that knows – doesn't have a run game run the ball first and second down inside the 15 yard line is is a little bit aggravating but I want to see what he's able to do when he has everything rolling because I thought the the UCF game we've mentioned it a couple times on the podcast I thought that was an incredibly called game I love the way they called the Penn State game there were some people complaining about it uh, on Twitter this past weekend that this offense started struggling with that game I love the way they called that game. I thought it was yeah. perfectly called. Kenny was struggling, and the way that Kevin Johns was able to get Brady White outside of the pocket and make throws, I love that. So I think Kevin Johns is a good offensive coordinator. I just think he's had a tall task this year of of trying to get something going with this offense, especially here later in the season. I think the reality here for this team is that there's no no fix for this year. There's just none. I mean, the offensive line is what it is, but – the the hope on the horizon for this this program for this team for uh, Ryan Silverfield is that like you guys already said they have recruited well especially at some of the skilled positions 
that they need help with. They've got a good running running back coming in in J.P. Martin. They've got some good receivers coming in that can help and some that, that are from the 2020 class that should continue to develop and help. Uh, I think what, from my perspective, the one thing I would take from the Tulane game is if I'm on that staff, I'm taking the tape of that offensive line and I'm sending it to every big-time offensive line target whether it's a, a 2021 high school kid, a JUCO kid, or a transfer, and I'm saying, look at our offensive you line. You can start. <laughs> you you got every bit of time that you need. If you're a center, we got you. You you got you got basically as much opportunity and playing time as as humanly possible. So um, I think that's going to be absolutely crucial moving forward for this staff is closing out 2021's recruiting class strong with the offensive line um Kenny you got any thoughts no I mean I listen you guys are Christian and Jonah and and Brooks y'all are much more knowledgeable about football than I am and schemes and things like that um I just think you know it's as somebody who covers the Tigers um as somebody who's who is in Dallas for the for the Cotton Bowl this last year and stepping up into Jerry's world and and being on that field obviously man it's a beautiful experience thinking about the Birmingham Bowl even though listen man Brooks I love you um nobody wants to haters. go to Birmingham nobody wants to come to Birmingham hey I'll I'm about Birmingham. to go to Instagram like halo halo I'm joining you buddy I'm I'm about to go talk about <laughs> it ain't it ain't about the city it's about that stadium <laughs> the stadium is Jesus. trash man anyway Hey, Birmingham, hey, we're getting the new new stadium. I think it's called Alliance Stadium. Y'all should look it up. Maybe Will it be ready by <laughs> If they can throw it no. up in like 3 weeks, no. that'd be awesome. <laughs> but it'll be ready for the next bowl season. But so let's let's just in a transition year with a new head coach in the midst of of COVID-19 era, you know, things like that. The Tigers are still bowl eligible and they're going to go to a bowl. And that's that to me is a sign of a team that even in the midst of a transition, they still are, are they're, they're having success on the, on the field. Um, they'll be back, man. They'll be back. Well, Christian, Jonah, Kenny, y'all got anything else? I'm good. We're good. We're good. All right. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis Athletic Program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are uploaded daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for the VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. 